Win big in 2023 with rotoballer.com's MLB Premium Pass. It includes our preseason draft kit, 15 exclusive lineup tools, and the Team Sync platform. Get customized rankings for your specific league format. Sync your leagues with Team Sync and use our new live draft assistant. Then get customized advice for your scoring settings. Get a discount for any MLB Premium Pass using my code SAMSKI. Just visit rotoballer.com, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Catcher's Corner. I'm your host Eric Samolski, um, and I am not joined by Sammy Ackley this week. Sammy is taking the kids to Disney, um, which, if I've learned anything from my friends with kids who have gone to Disney, uh, it's not quite as exciting as when you used to go to Disney. <laughs> Uh, when you're solo or when you're a kid, um, it's just like a lot of work. Uh, I somebody sent me a meme once that said, uh, "Parents on vacation. Parents don't go on vacation; they just parent in road games." Um, and I felt like that made sense. Um, but we are replacing Sammy for today with a uh, friend of the pod, Paul Spore. Paul, thanks for jumping on. Eric, thanks so much for having me on. I, I'm not a parent, but that road game thing rings true from what I know of observing parents, having parents myself, uh, watching my niece, you know, uh, it, going with her to Disney yeah. and seeing how my my brother-in-law and my sister were, you know, I got to be the cool uncle. They're the ones that have to kind of keep everything in order. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. But hopefully Sammy has some fun. And I think the joy comes from seeing the utter joy in your children when, when yeah. they're just enjoying, you know, the, uh, your father. So I'm sure you're, you're going to be experiencing that, but, you know, seeing that sort of happiness has to be amazing. Cause again, it, it did wonders for me seeing my niece be that happy. And right. that's just as an uncle. And I think that especially the case with, you know, someplace like, like Disney too, um, you know, and uh, you know, Sammy's got, got two kids. One of them certainly at an age where you can start to see, see some joy and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. um yeah my my son's 10 months old um so you know i think we're a little young for disney but take some uh, even, time for that yeah yeah even when you go uh visit the family you know and i know this from when i was the fun uncle too it's like they're they're happy to help for a little bit oh for sure but at when the you know what really hits the fan it's like all right um i'm gonna go grab a drink or something and you you take care of your own kid um so. i always get to give her back you know <laughs> yeah. when when yeah. when things although there were a few times i watched her and this was like when she was really young my niece and it, she was still having problems with with them leaving and yeah. those first 20 10 15 20 minutes of just howl crying just oh, yeah. screaming and i'm like it's gonna be okay yeah you're like you're what did okay. i what did i do yeah <laughs> But now um, she's great. I yeah. I go to watch. She's like, okay, you can leave. Bye. Bye, mom and dad. Bye. We're going to be playing video games. We're going to be playing board games. So anyway. No, but, it's, uh, it's perfect when uh, when when you get to that to that stage. Love that stage. It's, um, it's, it's great right now. Yeah. And the the majority of, uh, of our discussion today is actually going to be about kids, but it'll yes. be about uh, professional kids, <laughs> um, young kids. You know, this year, I think more than any other, um, it just feels like we've had some crazy call-ups early on. Just the, the mm-hmm. amount of high fo- high profile guys that have come up early. Um, primarily on the pitching side is where you see the big names and, and we're gonna kind of talk through all these guys and you know, pseudo 
rank them. You know, people love rankings, um, but just trying to see like who we're most confident in. But before mm-hmm. we dive into names, I just wanted to ask you, you know, as just a general fantasy baseball strategy question, we're about a month into the season now. Um, so you kind of have a sense of which teams, you know, actual baseball wise, not just fantasy wise, are, you know, good garbage living somewhere in the middle. Um, so when we're, when you have, you know, starting pitching decisions to make, how much of your decision making at this point in the season is impacted by the offenses your your starting pitcher is going to face. We know, for example, you know, the A's, your Royals, or so your yeah. Tigers, the Royals, not great offenses. Would you start any anybody against them? Like how much do you weigh the offense in that equation? Yeah, d- damn near. Um the, the AL Central is a is a place to pick for sure. You know, you're not necessarily attacking Minnesota, although the offense is not their strength. So even them, but the other four for sure, including the White Sox joining the Tigers, Guardians, and Royals. In fact, the Guardians, Tigers, Royals, in that order, are the lowest three Wobas weighted on base average mm-hmm. uh, totals in the league. I mean, that that is horrendous. So you're looking at AL Central. You mentioned the A's. Uh, the Nats, the Nats don't strike out. Uh, you're still going to get a good run against them generally. But if you're looking for Ks, that they're really not going to deliver there. They are the best strikeout team in the league. Um, in terms of fewest. So you're not going to get that from streaming against the Nats, but I'll take the good ratios and the win probability over there. You know, there are some teams that are near the bottom that are expected to be good. So I'm a little bit more cautious, but I'm also not running from them. If there's a streamer I really like that is facing Houston or the Yankees right now, I'm, I'm inclined to still go with it because of where they've been right now. Their offenses are kind of half offenses, um, you know, I'd right almost now, say that until Judge is back, you can especially the Yankees. Yankees. Yes, I I would definitely agree with that. But even with him, they weren't ranking very high. Now you take him out of there, and yes, you can definitely go at them. Jake Bowers is is playing for crying out loud. I like Willie Calhoun, <laughs> but when he's kind of the middle of the order for them, that's right. a little bit different. I'm a Harrison Bader guy, but he's got to still show something. So it's like I, even though I like some of these players still not threatened by them being middle of the order guys. So I totally agree there Houston until they get healthy again, they're about a half lineup and they have to get some guys back before they really turns. Plus the fact that you've got uh, Jose Abreu doing nothing. He's basically out of the lineup right now, given that right. power. So I think that they're pick on you know, a team that you can pick on as well. And then I kind of look at righty lefty stuff too, because certain teams will be better against righties or lefties. So I'm not averse to looking at that and maybe playing some angles there too. Yeah. And I I think, I guess the other question for people that are, you know, in weekly lineup lock leagues, you know, NFBC formats, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, Where is your decision-making when, you know, you have one good start and one bad start for your pitcher. Is there ever an offense that you see where you're like, okay, I don't, I don't care that the first start is really good. Like I won't use them because the second start is, you know, the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, and, the Rays are superstars only right now, yeah. like the top of the scale superstars. I know a couple of guys, I think it was Garcia, Luis Garcia and Hunter Brown of the Astros got to them. And I like both those guys, but I wasn't starting them. I'm not starting anybody, but the cream of the crop, right. whether that's like 10 deep for you, 12, 15, wherever your like super ace tier is. That's those are the only guys I'm starting against the race. And I'm still not even that confident Atlanta Dodgers are still scary. By the way, we're talking about how they're not the, they're, they're elite Avenger self these days where one through nine, they're terrifying, but mm-hmm. they're fifth in Woba. There's still yeah. a team you want to be careful with sneaky team to be careful with because their park is pretty nice to pitch in 
uh, don't mess with Texas. I know it's our, our theme here. I live in Texas for those that don't yeah. know. Uh, that's with regards to littering here. But be careful taking <laughs> your uh, taking your ball club, taking your pitchers into that park or hosting them because that Rangers offense is strong. Even without Seager, it's still been troublesome. And once he comes back, it gets even uh, more right. fearsome yet again. Yeah, and I, I think also, you know, you're going to see with the return of, um, you know, Bryce Harper is just coming back. Obviously, yep. it, might, it might take a little bit for him to kind of shake some rust. Um, but that Phillies lineup is super deep. Um, so I think I'm kind of with you there where I think sometimes we just, we are driven to start all the two starts because we think, oh, two starts, you know, I'm, yes. I'm getting more, more strikeouts, more potential for wins, et cetera. You're also getting more possibility of these bull up starts that we've seen so much of this year. And not only um, and, that, real quick, sorry, but you talk about the win potential. Yeah, you do get two shots at it, but with the way wins are so tough to come by these days, a streaming pitcher is obviously out there for a reason because he's not that great. So I'm a lot more cautious with my two steps these days. Yeah. And if it's a great one start, I would rather have that guy take my one great shot instead of a one up, one down, or maybe two mediocre sure. shots with a crummier guy. Yeah, for, for sure, 100%. I think that sometimes we we underestimate just a good one start. You know, like this week, I started Eflin against the Pirates over a few different two-start options depending on my teams. And it's like, I know he'll probably only go five innings, um, and he's not going to, you know, strike out the world. Um, but he's a solid pitcher in a good matchup. Um, he's, actually, he's actually currently got six strikeouts and five and a third. So, you know, beautiful. Hopefully, I didn't, and, hopefully I didn't jinx it. But well, like beautiful support too with the rest of the team. Yeah. And that's it. And then, you know, there's a good shot at a win. So I'll take that over some of the more enticing two starts. I think it may have been like Josiah Gray had one this week, you know, yep. names like that where you're thinking if it breaks right. Um, it, exactly. There's just too many questions for me. By the way, did you see, speaking of games, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon for those uh, that don't know. Uh, did you see what happened to Jack Flaherty? I did. And uh, we are going to discuss that murdered. later because I, I think there's got there. There would have to be a change in the rotation coming at some point in time. Um, you know, we can talk about the guy who could come up and, and, the guy and be quite good up. there. Um, speaking of call-ups, before we get to the pitchers, um, the Cubs did just call up Matt Mervis. So yes. obviously he's been talked about all you know spring into the you know spring training into the start of the season um are you also big on on matt mervis do you think he should be added in pretty much all formats right now yeah i, I fell in love with mervis at the fall league like a lot of us who go down there for the first pitch arizona uh festival and you saw everything there he had everything and and it made no sense that they just kept picking up guys mm -hmm. that could further block him it really really didn't make any sense i get you know, getting somebody like Bellinger who could shift to first if it didn't really work out, but mostly play the outfield. But then bringing in Hosmer and Mancini, I actually quite like in general, right. like in a vacuum. But then bringing him in too, and I'm just like, what are they doing with this guy? There's a reason to have a backup for a rookie, right? You don't want to put all the pressure on him. But yeah. after a while, I was like, they hate this kid for some reason, and I don't get it. But you know what? He didn't mope. Matt Mervis went down to AAA, dominated, put up a 140 WRC plus, 40% better than league average, six homers, and now he's up. And, yeah, I'm picking him up pretty much anywhere, especially if you need some offense. Tens, you might not you might not have a spot if your first and corner are excellent, but 12s and beyond, there should be multiple teams in those leagues that can utilize him. Yeah, I, everybody has kind of sold me on him. I'm, I'm in on that. And then another name I'll just float out there for deeper leagues, 
Um, the Royals called up Michael Garcia this week, um, mm-hmm. and I've been a big fan of his. Um, I think that, you know, there's a, you know, he, there's a good chance that he is the third baseman. Um, he's been playing a lot of third in the minor leagues and Hunter Dozier. Um, I think, you know, maybe his, his time has come and gone as a, a starting baseball player probably did a few years ago, but, um, you know, they, they let him hang around, uh, you know, listen in two levels last year, Garcia still 39 bases, um, nice. and hit 11 and hit 11 homers. So that that should jump off the page to you. Fourteen uh, percent walk rate in AAA. I think this guy's going to be a solid batting average um, at, uh, asset who could steal a bunch of bases, um, and that kind of thing is is relevant and reliable. Obviously, you know he's on the Royals, so you're not going to expect tons of like runs and RBIs, but just something to keep in mind. Yeah, I think Michael, Michael Garcia is a good shout there. You know, I was a big guy uh, for Michael Massey coming into the year and he hasn't really panned out, but I think that they're both kind of similar in that they can do a little bit of everything. Speed is definitely a carrying tool for Garcia, whereas Massey's more of a do everything. But I really think both of these guys uh, can be interesting. I still think Massey can have some summer appeal down the line. If he can cut those strikeouts and the hard hits can start doing some things, but Garcia could be a really nice speed play right away. Yeah. I I'm hopeful in a lot of my leagues, including my AL tout team. So fingers crossed. Um, I'm going to let you kind of, we're going to do a choose your own adventure. We're, we're talking through these rookie starting pitchers. Um, you know, the goal is for Paul and I to kind of give you our thoughts on, on all these guys. They're probably, uh, you know, rostered in the majority of leagues, um, with the exception of the guys who were just called up this week, who you might not be able to pick up depending on your league format until Sunday. Um, but you know, maybe these guys are, are players who people don't really know if they can trust or not. You still might be able to acquire via a trade. Um, but I just want you to you to start with of the names that we are going to discuss, and I'll, I guess I'll just go Taj Bradley, Mason Miller, Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, Bryce Miller, Louis Varland, Gavin Stone, Brandon Fott, Bryce Elder, and then Matthew Libertore, who's that Cardinals uh, prospect yep. who we were okay, alluding we to before yeah. Mike get called up. If you could only have one of these pitchers on your roster, who's the guy that that jumps out the most to you? Say that again. I'm sorry. If you could only have one of these guys on your roster, who's the one that jumps out the most to you? Right, right now, it's it's Bybee. Um, T- Tanner Bybee. I, I know it was like Bibby or even Bibby, but it's Bybee, weirdly enough. Uh, he's the guy I love. I, I really, really love what Cleveland does. I, I'm totally in the bag for every Cleveland guy that comes up. I'm at least going to take a look at them and and see what's going on. Like Peyton Battenfield was actually kind of interesting to me, and now he's mm-hmm. getting bypassed by both Bybee and Logan Allen. I like both them, by the way. They're pretty close, but yeah. I will lean Bybee. I think he's got a chance to stick the rest of the year, even as McKenzie uh, and Savali get healthy. I think Bybee is the one who has the edge and has a real chance to be there the entire year. Yeah, I, I really like the, the arsenal. Um, you know, I think – there was some question about the fastball, at least what I was reading in the, in the prospect uh, write-ups about him. I, I feel like the command is really good. Um, obviously, it got away from him at the end of the the Yankees start. Um, they were yeah. able to kind of chip away with a couple runs. But I felt like early in that game, um, which was on Tuesday, you know, Bybee was really kind of like really hitting the corners pretty well. Um, and I like the, the combo of breaking pitches that he had. Um, I thought he kind of... He attacked in a really smart way, um, and I felt like he maybe had more depth in his arsenal than some of these other guys we're going to talk about who have, like, the overpowering fastball, but you saw the command of the off-speed pitches kind of come and go, where Mm -hmm. I felt like Bybee, um, 
had a little more command of that whole arsenal um, and was able to kind of pick his spots and really, um, really get some ugly swings. I completely agree there with Bobby going into the Yankee stadium. And we did just get done talking about how Yankees aren't as threatening as like standard Yankees, but there is Mm -hmm. still a mystique and a level of nerves that you're going to get as a rookie going into Yankee stadium. There's just no two ways around it and going in there and standing up, the way Bobby did after dominating Colorado, you know, in, in Cleveland, that one was okay. That's kind of easy. What can you do when you go to New York to face the Yankees, even if it's a muted Yankees. And I was really impressed with him. So two starts in, I like so much of what he's doing. Agree with you that he has a depth of arsenal that can certainly get him through the entire season, get him through the third time uh, of the order on occasion as well. I think there's major upside here for Tanner Bybee. Yeah, and I think the next guy for me, you know, who might actually be the most acquirable if you're in a redraft league is Taj Bradley because he's not currently up with the Rays. Yeah. Uh, you know, they send him down for, I guess, to to get him on a five-day schedule, which, um, you know, everybody kind of rolled their eyes at. I was going to say, my eyes have rolled out of my head, Eric. Exactly. But but to me, it's like he's, he threw 130 innings last year. Mm-hmm. So, or actually a little over. So I think the reality of Bradley throwing 130, 140 innings with the Rays this year, I consider to still be high. Um, and so to me, this is kind of like whether it's service time manipulation, whether it's delaying his major league innings until you know they can really use them as much over the summer. I still think we see 130 major league innings from, from Taj Bradley. Uh, and so I'm going to take that over the 110 120 innings we might get from some of the other arms we're going to talk about later because I just felt like what I saw from him in his three major league starts was impressive enough that that I really trust the talent and then we talked about the team context too you know um he's another like this kind of fastball cutter guy where it's not like the old school cutter that you know we think about it's it's a little bit has some of that like slider profile to it or that you know gyro slider profile that we would now call um, and so there's some swing and miss to that pitch a little bit. And then I think a curveball that, you know, if I'm not mistaken, didn't rate really well on a lot of the, the, you know, pitch modeling metrics, but looked pretty good in, in action. He uses about 10% of the time was a good swing and miss pitch for him. So I, I still think that Bradley is maybe the guy that I would want, you know, rest of season right behind Bybee. But I'm curious where you, where you land on Taj Bradley. Um- I'm also quite big on Bradley or I was very surprised that he was sent out paid paid up big for him in my main event league. I'm not, I'm not terribly concerned about the send down other than that. It's just difficult to stash guys in this format. Thankfully I got some injury guys coming off the IL that, uh, you know, made it so that I wasn't totally cluttered there. You know, Verlander returned. Um, he Jimenez was on the IL. So, you know, I can, I can afford a stash right now and I'm not going to give up on Taj Bradley because he was sent out because he wasn't sent out due to a lack of success. Mm-hmm. You're hundred percent right that this guy looks the part and maybe they are just waiting to deploy his innings until things get a little bit tougher because it has been kind of easy. And if you think about it strategically, that does make some sense. You know, don't let him, uh, don't let him waste all his bullets in AAA either. I wonder if they are kind of, you know, limiting what he's doing down there in terms of volume. Yeah. Because if, if, he, he, if he's going to use the bullets anyway, they he should be up. But if, if they're limiting his bullets a bit down there so that he can have a big summer for them, then I, I like what they're doing with Taj Bradley. Right. He currently has three starts in AAA this year for eight total innings. Oh, it looks like the, the one he's thrown since getting demoted to, he got crushed. Right. And I'm sure people are off of him based on that. 
I am undaunted by yeah, one a, bad outing. It does it nothing. Do, that doesn't matter to me. Um, I saw the success at the major league level. And so like, who knows if they had him working on a particular thing exactly. or, or what? Um, I'm not trying to read into that, um, especially in a start that like I didn't see. So, you know, it's, it's not, we're not able to kind of like really like point out any red flags. Like the command was all over the place. His velocity was way down. It's just a bad start. And, and those are going to happen. Yep. I'm not even um, worried about it, but I'm with you on Bradley being very high. And if he was called up right now, uh, he might rank number one uh, over Bybee for me as well when you're talking about getting these guys in redraft formats right now. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with you there. I think he would be my number one if he was currently up. Um, we had a little battle of the Millers yeah, earlier this week. Um, we had Mason Miller for the A's, who was already up. And we had Bryce Miller um, for the Mariners who was making his debut. I'm curious, um, obviously from that start, but also just from Mason Miller's first start too, if you had to pick a Miller, uh, who are you more confident in for the rest of this season? Definitely Bryce. And it's not just based on this start. And hey, you know, the wrong start maybe to talk about Miller's limited in, uh, can't just say Miller, to talk about Mason's <laughs> limited innings there right. because, you know, he went four and a third and four in his first two and then dropped seven really sharp innings here against Seattle. And it was 100 pitches, which is great. But I do think that even if he's consistently getting 90 to 100 pitches, that's still going to be primarily a five and dive for Mason Miller because mm -hmm. he doesn't have great control and command. He does have electric stuff, though. He still even had four walks here. It's just that he didn't allow any hits. You're not going to get seven no-hit innings very often. So I do like him. He's interesting. I think he should be rostered. But, like, I wasn't bending over backwards for Mason Miller because win probability is already low on that team, even if they were guaranteeing him five a pop. Right. Uh, so you already have that, plus the fact that he's going to go under five consistently. How many innings can you realistically expect? This dude has like 25, 30 pro innings under his belt after being drafted in 2021. Meanwhile, Bryce is another one of those guys, Bryce Miller, who had 130 plus innings last year. There's no reason to believe that he can't put up a pretty full season. In fact, it was closer to 100, uh, actually, hang on, 77 and uh, 56. Yeah, about 133 innings or so uh, last year between high A and double A, another 20 at double A this year. Yes, he did make the skip from triple A, but if you're ready, that's not really a problem. Plus, he's 24. I think Bryce Miller could be a rest of season kind of guy. Uh, he'll have his ups and downs like any rookie. Don't don't just judge him off a start against Oakland because you and I could probably put up four decent innings against Oakland. But I do like what Bryce Miller did, and I do believe he's going to be pretty solid. Yeah, and I think in addition to the, the five and dive, you know, you talked about Mason Miller having really limited professional innings, but he also only has his career high, and we talked about this with Chris Clegg on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, his career high innings is 92, um, and that was back in college. So wow. you have so a guy who's, whose career high innings is 92 and hasn't done that in a couple of years. I can't see how you let that guy throw more than 110, no. right? And that, and that's on the upside. So even if he's not a five and dive, even if they let him go six, seven sometimes, I still think there's a solid innings cap on Mason Miller. So that to me really kind of limits a little bit of um, my intrigue with him and that's uh and that's not even factoring like the a's don't get wins with their starting pitching i mean it's now comical how how long they've been they've gone without a win for any oh, of their starters unreal um 
And so, you know, the park will work in his favor a little bit because it's a big park and so it might limit, you know, home run damage. I think he's going to get strikeouts. That fastball obviously plays. I think the slider is good. There's not really a knock on him like as a pitcher, as a ta- as a talent. Um, and so I think it's hard to sometimes contextualize like, yes, I like the fastball slider combo. Do I wish he had a more legitimate third pitch? Absolutely. But that's mm-hmm. not stopping me from rostering him. It's the you know, you may only get 90 more innings of baseball and you may get two more wins. So just factor that into your overall evaluation of him. And, and you know, you're also going to get a blow up starter too because he's a rookie pitcher and that's going to happen. So it just really limits the amount of ways that he can help you other than the strikeouts that I think will inevitably be there. Yep, I think it's a great way to call it. Um, But I loved what what Bryce Miller did. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people talked about the, um, the fastball and it's not just, you know, the velocity on the fastball, um, but Lance Brodzowski, who does, you know, really good kind of like pitcher write-ups, um, videos and looks are at fantastic, like, by the, the, way. the videos are fantastic. I really like the, the horizontal movement and vertical movement stuff that he, that he looks at, but he was saying that, um, Bryce Miller's four-seam fastball averaged 21 inches of vertical break or carry um, at 95 miles an hour, which was a top 15 fastball in baseball with a minimum of five innings pitched. Um, So obviously, you know, he did it against the A's, but you have a potentially elite fastball. And then what I thought visually at least was a was a decent slider that I know is not getting the you know the swings and misses that um people want from it but I mm-hmm. think it has the makings of a pretty good breaking pitch and I'm not saying that he's Spencer Strider but we saw Spencer Strider have legit success last year off an elite fastball and an elite slider so if Bryce Miller can have an elite fastball and a pretty good slider you could still have a really usable pitch fantasy baseball pitcher exactly i think that's and that's a great way to say it and like you aren't calling him uh, uh spencer strider right we're not going to put that tag on anybody because that's that's such a crazy tag to just drop on somebody but what he taught us what what strider taught us is that we don't have to freak out as much if a guy doesn't have the third pitch if it's two truly elite pitches there is a world where that still works just fine mm-hmm um, and just another guy that you mentioned before, you talked about Logan Allen, um, you know, another Cleveland Guardians pitcher, teammate of Tanner Bybee. Uh, he's been really good to start the year. Are you are you buying what you're seeing from Logan Allen? And if Bybee can stay in the rotation, do you think Allen can also? Yeah, completely. I'm buying what I'm seeing. I do believe that that Logan Allen can stick as well, because if you think about it, there's, you know, McKenzie's not back for another month at least, right? I think they're talking late May at the earliest. So that's a month off. So much can happen from there. Savali, I don't know. I don't even know if we've gotten uh, news lately on when he's supposed to return. I feel like it's been kind of dark since then. But even if he comes back and takes a spot, if these two are performing, if these two rookies, Bobby and Allen, are performing the way they're they're supposed to be uh, or the way they can be, then you got Bieber, those two, Quantrill and then Savali. And then when uh, McKenzie comes back, there's no reason that Quantrill can't be pushed to the bullpen or Savali. Neither of them are so 
firmly planted in the rotation that if these two rookies are performing, they're going to keep the spot over them. It's just not going to happen. So I'm trusting them. I'm worrying about the talent. I'm not going to necessarily try to just um, freak out too much about how long they're going to pitch. I, I pay, you know, I, I was willing to pay for either of them, uh, Allen or Bybee, and I'll just kind of go with it. I think too often we worry about rest of season with, with fantasy moves when we really should be thinking in like three to six week increments. Right. And I think you're that, that point, you know, cause we just talked about it with, with Mason Miller. I think it's sometimes acknowledging the rest of season value, but being okay, taking the immediate results. Like I exactly. can acknowledge that Mason Miller's rest of season value may be lesser than somebody like Logan Allen because of innings. But I could also in my head say, okay, but who do I, whose next 40 innings do I want? And if the next, yeah. if that for me is very clearly Mason Miller, and I don't know that it is, I'm just speaking hypothetically, then maybe that means you go get Mason Miller because who knows what's going to happen after 40 innings. But if and I know that guys, I want right now, go get that guy. Exactly. And how many other guys might be called up to replace Mason Miller? I don't have to worry so much about August when we're right. in May, when it's on May 4th, right? Like yeah. I think we get too bogged down with that, especially with pitchers. Right. I mean, hit, hitters too, but really with the pitchers, we have no idea. Think about all these guys that we're talking about. We haven't even hit this entire list yet. Just these call-ups have been impressive, let alone the second group of guys that we're going to try to get to, which are guys who have popped up as, you know, uh, randos off the waiver wire in shallow leagues or <laughs> late picks in, in deeper formats. So, yeah. yeah, there's always so much pitching cycling through. Don't get hung up on whether or not these guys are going to last forever. Do you want Mason Miller's next 40 to 50 innings? Is it worth triple digits to you? Then pay for it. Would I pay 300 plus out of a thousand bid? No, I wasn't personally. But if it's if it's worth it to you, then worry about that so much, not so much what it's going to look like on September 28th. Yeah. And I think for me, I have Logan Allen at the bottom of this group of pitchers we've already talked about. And and I like what I've seen from him. But for me, my concern is the the fastball. Um you know, we've seen Cleveland pitchers get away with having a bad fastball. I was going to say uh, that is a staple of them. It's like part of what they do. Uh, yeah. This fastball is getting hit around a little bit. Um, and it's still early, so we don't want to overreact. He doesn't have a lot of velo coming from the left side. Um, the sweeper and the changeup have looked really good so far, and I think it rounds out an, an arsenal for him. But I think, you know, there's a reason he's given up four barrels in, in two starts, um, you know, which is – and a 42% hard hit rate, which again, super small sample size. But if you have a fastball that you can't consistently rely on, um, it makes it a little bit more of a tightrope walk dance for me. And so that's why I think he's good. And I would gladly have him on my team, but I think I would take these, you know, the other guys we mentioned before him personally. I think, that, I think that's fair with, with Logan Allen being kind of careful with him. And even there's some other guys that we're going to bring up that I think, might uh, might jump him as well. I, I do like yeah. him though in that fastball thing. That is one thing that I take less seriously with Cleveland because they've worked around it so well, but it is still worth bringing up as you did. Yeah. Um, the the final three rookies are guys who, who all got hit around a little bit just yesterday. 
Uh, and it's Louis Varland on the Twins and Gavin Stone on the Dodgers and Brandon Fott on the Diamondbacks. You, you know what? Uh, Finally, by the way, I'm tired of these guys coming up, putting up a gem and then making the price, you know, through the roof right. for NFBC. Because for those that don't know, uh, those are weekly leagues. We don't get to bid on those guys until Sunday unless they've they were already drafted and cut. Otherwise, they're not available to just freely pick up before they debut. So it's nice that they didn't go out and put up eight shutout innings and make it so that the price is two fifty. And that and that brings up a, a pretty nice buying opportunity for some of these guys where, you know, I think, you know, Louis Varland was picked up in a lot of leagues because when Mally um, was hurt last week, there was the idea that he was going to enter the rotation. Correct. You know, you may now have people say, oh, maybe Gavin Stone gets demoted because it's the Dodgers or maybe Fott isn't ready or, or whatever. Um, so of those three guys, though, who would you – who would you be trying to pick up if they were all available on your waiver wire? You know, I'm really keen on Varland and I'm, I'm, we talked about what Cleveland's been able to do with their pitchers. Let's give some love to Minnesota and what they've been able to do, mm. extracting yes. yeah. extra levels out of their guys here. Pablo Lopez, you know, health has pretty much been the only real concern with him and it's still ever present, but the talent is up even a level from where he was with Miami. Sonny Gray is dealing health is only his real concern. Joe Ryan had a great breakout year last year. Everyone would be fine with just a repeat. He said, no, I'm not satisfied with that. I need a better secondary arsenal so I can miss bats. And boom, he's on another level this year, pitching like a top 10 guy. Mm -hmm. Varland is part of the group who they have improved. Now he might not be pitching at their level, but if you looked at what Varland did last year, I think you can expect that or more. He put up a 381-123 ERA whip combo. I think you can get more with better strikeouts. He added a mile and a half of velo, sharper secondary stuff. The swinging strike rate's been really nice, both in the minors and majors so far this year. It's only 25 innings of work, but you're looking at like a 35% K rate across the two levels, a 14% swinging strike rate, and still the great control that Varland has always had. So I love what Minnesota's doing with their pitchers. I'm starting to kind of go toward their guys by default and then dig in the way I do with Cleveland guys, you know, initially dive right in and then say, okay, does he stand up to what Cleveland normally does? Minnesota's getting that treatment, and Varland's my guy out of those three, fought Varland and um, Gavin Stone. Yeah, I, I liked what I saw from Varland. I will say, you know, there there was some weather issues in the last start against the, the White Sox, um, mm -hmm. and so there was some, uh, let's say, command issues, not control issues, where, like, in particular, in that first inning, you know, he left a, a fastball to Luis Robert, dead red, that was just crushed down the middle, and – Part of the reason for that was that he wasn't able to throw breaking balls for a strike and they were just sitting on his fastball. Um, but I do I do like the movement profile I see in, in all of his pitches. Um, and if you look at his minor league track record, there's really not a track record of command issues, right? So you can yeah. look at that one start and you could say, okay, he couldn't throw his breaking pitches for a strike. They teed off on the fastball. That's a, that's a concern. However, I like the shape of the breaking pitches historically speaking he can throw them for strikes so to me i think that might be a buying opportunity to say you know this is a you know a mediocre i wouldn't even say bad a mediocre start against an offense that while it's been scuffling has some pretty good hitters in that lineup um no doubt and so like you know having a bad outing against the white Sox is not something to to shake your head at um and i kind of think i feel the same way about about gavin stone um, I picked him up in a few places where I, where I could make waiver acquisitions, um, before Sunday. 
Um, and I had him on the bench and watched the start. And, you know, that first inning, he got done in by his defense. Um, a pop-up landed in the island in right field Brutal. behind second base and, you know, right field. Max Muncy botches a routine double play ball. Um, and I think the issue is like, he's got a pretty good fastball, 95, 96, and he's got a nasty changeup. But it's funny, Dontro Willis on the broadcast was saying that, you know, now there's video of minor league pitchers and there wasn't in the past. So all of these Phillies hitters have seen Gavin Stone and they exactly. know what his pitches look like and they know what he does. And you had guys like, you know, really good hitters like Turner and Bryce Harper and, you know, um, Castellanos and guys like that who were just spitting on like really good changeups that were low in the zone where you're like, oh, damn, that's a nice pitch. And they didn't even flinch because they knew, OK, if I see that, if I see the change up here, I'm I'm not touching it. I know what and I, I need to make him bring it up. But I like I like what I saw from Gavin Stone in terms of the shape of his pitches and the way he attacks. So I feel like he just will have to adjust to like what I can get a triple A pitcher to chase. I can't get a Bryce Harper to chase. I think that's great analysis there. I don't really want to just uh, repeat it in different ways. Stone was still impressive if you watch the start and if people keep the bids lower because it wasn't great. Obviously, you have to watch out to see if the Dodgers are going to send him back, but there should be room for him. Their starting pitching is not what it's been in recent years, just like with the lineup. So there could be a buying opportunity here if people really shy away from Gavin Stone, keep the price in check. And then if you're talking like more of a upper double digit price as opposed to a yet another triple digit prospect that's been coming up, then all of a sudden I'm really in at that point for Gavin Stone. Yeah, I'd like to sleep, see more slider command, which keeps him below some of the names we mentioned before, but but I'm in on him. And I got to say, like, it was only one start. Um, and I didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't watch a lot of his minor league stuff. So I'm I'm just reacting off one start, which people should know if they're listening to this. Same. But I same, didn't come away super impressed by Brandon Fott. And I'm just curious what your take was on his on his outing. Yeah. And I want to go back to talking about how difficult uh pitching in texas is even though that ballpark is nice that team isn't and he got eaten up a bit by the homers which certainly was an issue in the minors too and i think a lot of us were willing to kind of write that off due to the environments that arizona plays in namely the pcl but i think also their double a uh, uh amarillo in the texas league i believe that's another difficult spot to pitch so there's been some environmental issues but but also I think some of it has to go on on fought himself because, um, you know, other guys do survive there. He's somebody who lives in the zone. So I, I, excuse me, I like how you pointed this out earlier, control versus command and how the two are very different. And Varlin had some command issues, not necessarily control. That's exactly what I saw some from fought is that he can put it in the zone. In fact, he didn't really walk uh, but one yesterday, but four homers. So mm -hmm. is he putting it where he wants in the zone? Is he putting the pitches where they need to be? No, he wasn't. And this team got to him. I'm not worried about it. Now, the tough part about him as far as like the NFBC, the main event, he was already 100% rostered because he was drafted in most leagues. And then the other ones, he got picked back up where he was cut. So he's not going to be available there. But in your 12s, your 10s, there's going to be availability this week. He's fought is still a guy I'm still interested in. By the way, it's PFAADT. For those that don't know, it's not PFAD or anything like that. It's it's apparently fought, like I fought you, um, which is interesting. I thought it was more fought, yeah. uh, where you were kind of stressing the double A there, but apparently it's fought. But I'm still I'm still with him. I think he can miss bats. 
that command does need to tighten up, but he plays at a friendly home ballpark in Arizona and using him in the right matchups. You know, I'm probably going to skip him against the Dodgers. I'm going to skip him in Colorado. I'm going to be careful with him a little bit more than I am some of these other guys that are getting in. Like Bybee, I had no issue sending right. him into Yankee Stadium. Even if Judge and even their full strength, I'm trusting him everywhere right now. Fought, I'm going to be a little bit more cautious of where I'm sending him until we see that command tighten up because home runs are the quickest way to ruin an outing. You talked about the Robert Homer from Barlin. That spoiled the outing. It was a three-run shot. That took mm-hmm. it from what could have been a good outing to a legitimately mediocre one because he gave up four runs. So, yeah, I think you got to be careful with Fought's command, but there is still reasons to like him. And, again, if it's a more reasonable double-digit bid or even a low triple-digit bid out of a 1,000, something in the hundreds, I can get behind it now as opposed to like the 300, 400s that we're seeing some of these guys go for after big debuts. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I would still bid on the the prospect upside. There are people that I trust, you know, with, with their prospect analysis pedigrees who, who are, you know, really into to fought um, particular like James Anderson, uh, Chris Clegg, who I talked about, you know, we're, we're high on him. Mm-hmm. I do think, you know, just personally speaking from that first, start i think i probably have him lower than all of the other names that we talked about um but to me that doesn't mean ignore him it just means i think i'd rather have the logan allens and the louis varlins and you know even the mason millers um than than fought and that's just me personally how are you judging it right now with up versus not up though like libertor and bradley who aren't up versus all the other guys who are so with with Bradley, I'm with Bradley. I am still, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I'm still kind of penciling 130 innings because I just think that's the reality based on what he's thrown in the past and also the situation the Rays are currently in. With Libertor, I'm more. I don't know. What the, I don't know what the Cardinals are doing right now. They, um, yeah, they don't either. It it's seems. a it's a mess. I feel like he should be up. Um, and so I I almost want to treat him as if he's especially after Jack Flaherty got just worked today. Just and then destroyed. apparently they lifted him with a hand injury. But in reality, I mean, I think that's kind of saving face for, They're for protecting him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but like Libertori has taken a real step forward this year in terms of his minor league numbers, his strikeout rates his you know, his ratios were, he had a pretty down year last year and was also just fine in 2021 in, in triple a. Yes. So I'm a little bit, more cautious because we're talking about a 33 inning sample that looks drastically different than what we've seen in the past but i kind of want to treat him as if he's up because i feel like he's going to be i feel like it's inevitable right and if i wait if i'm in an nfbc format or something like that and i wait until he is up um you know i may never i may not be able to get him whereas if he was drafted in a league and then dropped and i can go pick him up now before it's announced um i might get value but yeah. I'm just curious, I guess, where you would, you know, roughly slot him with the names that we talked about. So I'm I'm in on Libertor. I kind of liked him before this year and understanding his issues with the fastball. And now that he's improved those, at least on, on the surface right now with spring and, and the early minor leagues, we're seeing some improvement with his stuff. That really makes me interested. I, I think in in I don't want everything to just be NFBC, you right. know, centric because not every league has that. A lot of leagues you can go get Libertor right now. So I'm going to judge him more in the grand scheme. And he's going to be ahead of somebody like Fought for me, mm-hmm. uh, Stone, and probably Mason Miller. I like Mason Miller. I think his, his um, you know, 
per inning is probably going to be better, but I will, even though I, I guess I'm kind of contradicting myself a little bit here when I said, don't get hung up on the long-term of the innings, but I do right. think Libertor once he's up is up for good and starting every fifth day with no real limitations on his volume because Libertor has put up the volume. So right. I think once they do call him up, him versus Mason Miller is Libertor for me right now. If you're going for Mason Miller, because he's up, I guess I do get that, but they're very close for me and I'm going to lean Libertor because I do think he, he can give just as good of innings one to one, but then his volume will be higher. I believe. Yeah. We, I, we I talk about, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Cause I did give a pause okay. there. Um, Bryce elder. Uh, we right. didn't even really talk about him because he's not as shiny as some of these other guys. And he was up and- last year. And he was up kind of to start the year. I mean, well, yes. I mean, we have the, um, you know, we have the starts. We had the the rotation of the of Braves young starters vying for the fifth spot at the Dodd beginning of the year Schuster. with, you know, Dodd and Schuster and um, Elder then was like the last of the bunch to get a shot. And I feel like almost there was like some Braves fatigue at that point where yep. everybody was like, I-, I was told that these other two guys were legit and, and they, they weren't bombed. And so now I'm going to go after this guy who had a, you know, who was fine last year. 317 ERA is great. He didn't really miss bats um, at the major league level last year. You know, he had a 10.6 K minus walk rate. So people were kind of like, eh, but I, I think he looks good, man. I, 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 I really agree. like, I really like the repertoire there. I, I like the, it's kind of almost like a power curve and the fastball. Um, I, I like the way he commands the zone. Um, I guess they technically call it a, a slider. I'm looking up on Statcast now, even though I think it has more of like that downward bite. Um, yeah, classifications I, I, are tough, right? But I think I think he, you know, I left him for the end because I think he transitions. <laughs> excuse me to um, these like, are you for real pitchers who have been up all year? That's a great but call. I think that he is. I think that he probably is the top of all of these guys in terms of just like what we've seen so far consistently with the poise and the arsenal at a major league level on a, a great team. And I think a full season runway for him. Yeah. I, I think you said it really well here. And I like that you specifically did wait on putting him up here because you thought that uh, Bryce Elder would be a good transition into these group of guys that are more um, uh, waiver pickup types, but yeah, I, I agree. Like, I really like him now. I have a bias toward Bryce Elder because he went to the University of Texas, so I watched him a, a few different times here live when he was pitching at, at UT. But I always thought he kind of, you know, and I know this is not measurable, and we're all about the stats. I am too, but he kind of has that that vibe to him, that dog in him type of thing that mm-hmm. we talk about. You know, Logan Gilbert's another guy that has that that I, I can't measure, it, but when I watch them, I'm like, these guys, they grind, they know what they're doing, they know how to pitch. I know that's a nebulous type of thing usually it means you have a deeper arsenal you have some control maybe better control than command i think we see that with elder though and yes the strikeouts are light but if the volume makes up for it because he can consistently go six seven innings um i think that that's okay too i I, i'm no i have no problem with eight k's per nine if you're going six seven regularly because you're going to make up for that a bit with the volume i really like elder i think he's in all formats pickup right now and no worse than a team streamer which is just if you're not using them you're not cutting them into the waiver pool you're just putting them on your reserve roster yeah i do love uh you know i I give you credit for that term i do i do believe you you created it um I i didn't hear it before um, but I do, I do love that classification between 
teamer, uh, team streamer and, and streamer. Um, the I concept like has always helpful. existed, but I just, I felt like there was worth a delineation because a lot, when a lot of people hear streamer, they hear use them and cut him. And so right. I just didn't, you know, I'll call elder essentially a streamer, but I don't want to imply to people that they should cut him when they're not using him because you don't want to give your, your league mates an opportunity to, uh, to, to pick snap him, up. him up. Yeah. Um, we're going to, you mentioned before that we had some, we were going to try to get through um, these names. We can names speed of, run them. We're going to, we'll, we'll speed run them and we might, we might cut a few off at the end. Um, but fine. these are, we're going to switch to some, all of these really are veterans um, who yeah. have kind of come out of nowhere or in some cases they've done, they've tantalized us before, but have never really had consistent value. Um, and are guys who are, are way out producing um, their preseason value and could potentially be kind of like year long holds. Um, and I wanted to start with Seth Lugo because he also jumped early this week. Um, Eno put out his updated rankings on the athletic and had Lugo in the thirties in terms of Ooh. rest of season uh, rankings. And this is a guy who's making a transition to the starting rotation. He has a three twenty one ERA um, over six starts with the Padres. Um he has a 21.7% strikeout rate, so nothing crazy, but a 16% strikeout minus walk. He's kind of split up his breaking balls into, into two kind of versions of the slider um, to you know help him with his starter's arsenal. And I kind of like what he's doing. I'm curious if you're buying into Seth Lugo. I am. I was buying before the season. I've, I've been in the bag for Lugo pretty much from the jump. You know, he's always been a quality reliever. He's tried to start a few times or really just the one time, I guess, 2017, way back when now, and then a few starts back in the uh, in the short in 2020 season. But I think he's a really good pitcher, and I thought he was going to be able to make this transition pretty well. I do wish we saw a bit more swing and miss from Seth Lugo. That would give mm -hmm. me a bit more confidence. And I do wonder how uh, Eno reconciles that with the fact that he has an 8% swinging strike rate. Now, swinging strike rate is very important, and it is predictive for strikeouts, but depending on when those swings and misses come, if, if, you know, if you have a high two strike swinging strike rate, then you can cover that. But I do think 8% is a little light. In fact, that's rounding up too. If we want to be technical, Tommy's here, he's a 7.6. So he is kind of even straddling that line closer to seven. And that's just going to be a little bit tough to really generate the case. That said, I do think the ratios will be there. I'm not too worried about the San Diego team finding their footing. They've been like an okay, bad team where I'm not worried about them. Whereas somebody like, um, you know, who we were talking about earlier, like, I think the White Sox have reasons to be concerned. Um, right. You know, I think there's certain issues with the Astros that they need to figure out. But the Padres, they've been bad. I think they have their talent. They'll be fine. So the win potentials will be there for Lugo. I quite like him, yes. And I will say, just to uh, to to be accurate, it's I just looked up the article. It's low 40s, not 30s. Okay, okay. Um, so adjust that a little bit. And it does look like they project him for a 24% um, strikeout rate. So... The numbers would indicate, I guess, a bump from up where he's at 21.7 right now up to 24. So and that that's might fair. kind of help with some of that. Um, but I think he's got a deep arsenal with a good team behind him. You know, again, it's hard to predict wins for for pitchers, but this is a good team situation for one. Absolutely. Um, so I'm in on Lugo, and I'm also in on another uh, reliever who is making the transition to the starting rotation, and it's Matt. I think it's Stram. I don't know if it was Stram or Strom. Is it Stram? I've always said Strom. Strom. Let's go with Strom. Um, I, I think that's all. Well, you know what? I trust baseball reference. They usually have good pronunciations here. Rhymes with prom. 
Boom. Okay. That's, what, that's what they put. For it. I, I like that. It. That's their, uh, that, that's their <laughs> I, way to, to do well, it. Yeah. We all know what that's like. Um, <laughs> so what I like about, about Strom is there's, there's, it's not just the results. There's a meaningful change that has helped to lead to the results. And so I think that that kind of stuff is important. If you're not just saying like, Oh, this guy's pitching great. Um, at some point it's real. It's also, you know, last year he was fastball cutter curveball. This year he's reshaped that curveball um to be more of a slider. Mm-hmm. Um and so he's he's kind of uh he's added over four and a half inches of horizontal movement to it and taken away some of the vertical break. Um and I think that that has played really well, obviously, off a cutter, which has that same kind of um horizontal movement profile to it. So when you're talking about deception to hitters, you have a four seamer and then you have this cutter slider, which are two pitches with varying amounts of horizontal break. And they're not as much like one horizontal, one north south. Um, And so to me, when I then look at the fact that he's gotten, um, you know, a lot of swing and miss on that slider with a 41.3% whiff rate right now, um, that kind of adds up to what I think he's doing with the arsenal overall. Um, and the success has been there. Another pitcher on a really good team, 13.6% swinging strike rate overall is something that Ooh. is certainly intriguing to me. Um, so I'm curious where, where you land on Matt Strom. Yeah. I'm in the Strom camp. This is a guy I've liked, you know, similar to Lugo, been a fan of his for years, dating back to both KC and San Diego, been wanting him to get this opportunity for a while. He too got an opportunity back in 19 um, and it didn't quite take off with starting and figure, okay, well, he's just going to be a lefty reliever here at age 31. Philly says, you know what? We could use him. We've got some injuries. we got, this guy's got some real talent. And I like that they're giving him a chance, you know, this long-term around, uh, you know, years after he last started with any consistency, and Strom might be a five and dive more or less all year, but the five are going to be really strong more often than not. Now he did show what, what the downside of five and dive can be with that Dodgers start. First off, it's the Dodgers. You didn't have to start them there. Uh, Strom is not somebody that is so instrumental to your rotation that you can't be starting him. He's a classic team streamer, even in 15 teamers. I have no problem team streaming Matt Strom, but what he showed was with those five and dives, if they have a bad inning, it's a lot harder to avoid just having a bad start because if you run up the pitch count and run up a few runs in one inning, obviously if they don't even get to their five, which he didn't, it ended up being three and a third. It's going to be hard to have a good start. Anybody can have a bad one, but a lot of times the superstars, one of the ways that they're able to salvage their ERAs is even on those bad days, they find a way to go five, six, sometimes even seven. You know, I still remember starts that Verlander had back as a, as a tiger, let alone, you know, in his recent years with Houston and the Mets when he was amazing, where he's been amazing. But even with, with the Tigers, he'd give up five, like first run innings and still go seven. Strom's never going to do that. Yeah. It's just never, if he has a 30 pitch inning, his day's probably ending a little bit early as well, but I do really like him. I think he should be rostered. I think he should be rostered everywhere right now, even tens Agreed. because the, the volume or, or the quality of his innings, excuse me, makes up for the lack of volume and you should just ride it while it's hot right now. And at least team stream him. I will say something, Justin and I say a little classic thing of he might not belong on your team. Like your team might be too good, but Matt Strom should be on a team in a yeah. 10 teamer. I firmly believe that. And Verlander settled down after giving up yes, two home runs to, to your Tigers. Um, and I want to talk about the pitcher that he faced today, who I'm sure you have your opinions on. 
But I'm noticing uh, one of the names we have on this list um, was another kind of like starter turned reliever turned starter again, Vince Velasquez with the Pirates, who I saw left today's game after three innings. And I went to Twitter and it looks like he left. He was grabbing his right elbow and he left the game with right elbow discomfort. Oh, um, man. Which, given Velasquez's injury history, is, um, not, is, not, is not a good sign. Um, that, so, that's sorry i thought you I thought done that. that's such a bummer like look i wasn't starting him here right superstars only against the rays and i'm cautious of velasquez but i'm pulling for him i i know i'm repeating this with everybody but i promise it's documented <laughs> i loved him too i was big on him with philly thinking that he could become something special i still remember the big outing do you remember the start that he had against san diego uh, I want to say it was like a 16 strikeout game. This was like early in his Philly career. It was like his coming out party. Vince Velasquez is going to be a God. He is for real. He was definitely not for real. It was a and, great outing, but that yeah. was it. And we've seen some, we've seen a few comeback attempts from him where you're like, yeah, maybe, maybe it might be, it might be happening. Um, and this one, you know, felt like the pirates were pushing all the right buttons. Um, and so obviously we don't want to, we aren't, we're not going to speculate. We don't not have over any yet. more information. Yeah, this is uh, temporary. Right elbow discomfort. You know, we had, <laughs> just like last week, Garrett Whitlock go on the IL, and everybody was speculating that he was done for the year, and now he's back throwing again. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, we don't we don't want to jump to conclusions, but um, it's a bummer, and I certainly wouldn't be picking him up, where which was what we were going to discuss, uh, until you know for sure. Exactly. Um, so stay tuned on news for Velasquez. If so, then you can pick him up. I do think he has team streamer viability. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious. We mentioned the guy that was starting against Verlander today, and um, it's Eduardo Rodriguez, um, who I wrote a preseason article saying he could finish as a top 25 starting pitcher. It was one of those, baby. Like, it was one of those, you know, articles about like if everything breaks right, like who, yeah. you know, bold you predictions. Know, exactly. You're like, you know, Kyle Bradish's and, um, you know, mm-hmm. people like that. Um, but I thought Rodriguez was getting overlooked. Um, today was a stellar outing against a probably mediocre Mets offense. Uh, sure. but I'm just curious where you're at with Eduardo Rodriguez right now. Big Eduardo fan. This was a signing I actually did like for the Tigers. Again, I know I just, I'm saying it about everybody. There's somebody on this list I hate. I promise I'll I'll be mean about somebody soon. But I really do like Eduardo. I thought it was a good signing. I thought he could take what he did well in Boston and maybe leverage his new, more spacious home ballpark to maybe put those same skills to a better season. Like just generally take what he was from 15 through 19 with Boston, put that in Detroit. And instead of being a... Um, 403 ERA and 130 whip, which is what that was. I thought he'd be more of like a 375, 122. Like that would downplay because of the park uh, in Detroit and well as, as well as the environment in the AL Central versus the AL East. Well, last year, it was a tumultuous season. He had some off the field stuff that he took care of. The team supported him in that, whatever it was. None of our business, really. We don't need to be speculating over what it was. He left the team. But he really wasn't bad. In fact, he was basically that Boston guy, 405, 133 ERA whip. A couple bad starts really pushed up his numbers in 91 innings. I like that you gave a bold prediction that Eduardo could be a monster if things broke. And so far, things are breaking. He looks wonderful. Eight scoreless today, two hits, a walk, nine strikeouts. The Mets are down right now. They are not like the, the powerhouse that we expected them to be. That's a great 
that's a great outing though. That's a confidence builder because they're still regarded as one of the best teams in the league. And so you got to love going out there and just dealing tigers took the sweep from them, uh, which is fantastic. But my, my best buddy is a Mets fan. So I love jamming that in his face right now. Cause the tigers are kind of crappy. There isn't a whole lot to go for, but Eduardo is somebody that still has availability in 10 teams, Eric, and that's wrong. He should not be. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, to your point, like not just that it was against the Mets, but it was against the Mets in Verlander's debut. Yeah. You know that um, there was a little bit of, you know, that you go into that game with everybody watching the other pitcher. Um, exactly. And so I think that, you know, that, and major league baseball players are not immune from like that emotional side of it, where he knew what he was up against and he delivered like he rose Absolutely. to the occasion in a way that I think is indicative of kind of that, like that mentality you're talking about. Um, and I, I think he should be rostered in all leagues. And again, you know, win totals may be um, up in the air. No offense to your tigers, but he got one. Today. No, no, so you're, you're know, 100% you right. right. No offense ne necessary there. Like, you don't even have to say that caveat. They're a bad team right now. I totally believe that. I hope that they can play decent ball the rest of the way. Some things are falling into place. The Tigers are looking a bit better, not just with this sweep, but just in general. But yeah, even if Erod isn't giving you a ton of win potential, he should be giving you good innings. There's no reason that he can't just throw 32 starts and just go as much as his arm will allow. If his health is there, there's no reason he can't put up his second 200 inning season of his career. I like Erod. Again, he does have availability in some tens. He needs to be snapped up. He will after this start for sure. But mm -hmm. I think he should have been even before this this outing. Yeah, we're gonna we'll tra we'll transition from uh, a call that I may have gotten right at the beginning of the year to an apology. Um, <laughs> and I have said Domingo Herman was garbage um, on multiple occasions. And I didn't understand why the Yankees kept giving him a chance to be their fifth starter. Um, and I know that the surface level numbers right now are not great um, with a 445 ERA. Uh, I do think that there's some stuff under the surface that is, is intriguing me. And I think that maybe he has more viability than I gave him credit for. A 17.3% swinging strike rate right now. Um, with a 34.2% CSW, th those are um, those are those catch your eye a little bit. The curveball has always been a good pitch. He's leaning into it more. Um, it's striking out a few more bats, um, and then he's still throwing a changeup that you know he's actually missing bats way more with the changeup than he was last year, and that's what I think has taken just like you know a solid swinging strike rate, and he's not relying on just the curveball anymore um to get to get swings and misses i should say uh the changeup is the movement profile actually isn't even drastically different which is wild to me like the, the vila was essentially the exact same it's dropping a little bit less um but it's basically the the same pitch um and i uh, so i kind of have to wonder like how maybe how real the swinging strike rate will continue to be on the changeup. Mm -hmm. But for right now, he's got two pitches that are performing really well, which help to offset a fastball, which is pretty poo-poo. Um, and I think that, you know, there, there's some viability to Domingo Herman because we have to assume that this Yankees offense will be at least solid when they get all of their players back. And so, and with all the pitching injuries, it's going to take a lot to get him out of that rotation. I think so too. I think Domingo Herman does have some staying power if 
for no other reason than they just don't have enough options. However, you don't have to go full Mia culpa, okay? Because he is performing well with his core skills. 22% strikeout minus walk for Domingo Herman is very good, but he's a great example of command versus control that we're talking sure. about. Because a 1-8 homer 9 is inconsistent with his career, 1.6. Homers are the quickest way to ruin an ERA. Uh, so he has a 3.59 Sierra, but a 4.46 ERA. Just be careful here, folks. He's going to give you some good outings, but he's going to have some mega duds. And the problem is, is one dud can erase three good outings. And he gets up a three, four homer game, which he's not averse to. He has right. three multi-homer games this year, can really spoil it. So I like Herman. I, I, I can't say I've loved him forever. This is not like all the other guys where I'm like, oh, I love him, I love him, love him. But I think he's good, but he's too risky for me. I'd rather not be relying on him all that much. I'm very cautious with him. He's a team streamer everywhere for me, even 15 yes. teamers where you know you don't have that much depth. Generally speaking, I'm still cautious with him. And he gets Tampa Bay next, Domingo Herman does, and then mm -hmm. a two-step the following week at Toronto and at Cincy. That is Homer haven with those three outings be careful and he and he's already been lit up by toronto once this year um exactly so i think that that's i think the team streamer call is is i is exact to me it was more the the mea culpa was like i thought he shouldn't sniff a, uh, a major league <laughs> baseball rotation let alone your roster and okay now, fair enough now i'm thinking he can be usable in, in certain matchups but again in certain matchups is part of that and Listen, the, the added swing and miss does add to the fantasy value if you're not just saying, okay, I'll start him versus the A's and maybe he gives up two runs in six innings and I get a win. Maybe he gives up one run in six innings and you get nine strikeouts. Um, exactly. And now yep. all of a sudden you have a little bit more value. To totally um, agree there. And that helps with Herman. I want to end on, I'm going to give you three lefties okay, who have kind of jumped in and out of fantasy relevance for... I guess I should say, I'm going to say years, even though Justin Steele is one of the guys and it's really just been two years. Sure. But between Drew that is Smiley, still multiple years. It, that's true. The, the, S, the S is correct <laughs> on the end of that word. Um, it's Drew Smiley, it's Justin Steele, and it's Wade Miley. Do you buy any one of these three more than the others? Do you buy all three of them? Or is there somebody that you're just like, not a shot in hell? Big on steel coming into the year, big breakout guy for me. So don't want to go full confirmation bias saying I got that one right because it is a 407 Sierra with the 124 ERAs. So uh, a heavy, uh, tiny, tiny BABIP and a really heavy left on base rate are kind of helping him with a solid 15% strikeout minus walk. But that doesn't scream breakout. That screams solid pitcher, which I'm fine if, if steel is just that. But I'm really in on him. Totally bought in. Uh, Smiley. He's a guy for me that like, it's never really about his talent. It's always about his health. And mm -hmm. when he's healthy and upright, he's viable damn near everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, even as a team streamer in tens, I think Drew Smiley is somebody that probably has to be rostered everywhere while he's healthy. It's just really difficult to expect him to stay healthy. He has one fully healthy season where he qualified for the ERA title, which takes 162 innings. That was back in 2016. His next highest is back in 2014. So he's more of a 100 to 120 inning type guy these last four years. So, you know, be careful with that and understand what you're dealing with. But again, that goes back to looking at things in more three, six to three to six week increments. And as such, Roster Smiley, start him while you can. And if and when he gets hurt, you adjust and you either cut him or put him on an IL, depending on what sort of league setup you have. But I think he's 
relatively matchup proof. You can team stream him if you want, but I pretty much trust Smiley a decent bit, even in more difficult matchups when he's healthy. And then Miley, I think, is just more of a standard streamer. Maybe right. team streamer and 15 teamers, but 12s and below, you're really just picking the good spots for him. And then it's okay to cut him because he just doesn't have enough dominance, um, you know, start to start. But he is a viable back-end streamer that can give you some quality starts that you can pick and choose. Yeah, 8.3% swinging strike rate this year for Wade Miley. Um, but I think he's just a guy, you know, 186 ERA coming into today's start against Colorado, which has just gotten underway. So who knows how that will end up in, in Coors. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look, Miley's ERA is the last three three years, and it's 337 in 2021, a 316 in 2022 uh and abbreviated in 2022 he he didn't you know he had some injuries and didn't pitch all that much but he's always been a guy who's been able to control the ratios um and milwaukee is a decent team the park Mm -hmm. is not ideal so you may want to pick your spots there but i think miley gets written off perhaps too much and i do think that he's he's usable as a streaming option um and somebody that i would definitely keep on your radar and i you know i'm i'm with you on on what you said about Smiley. So I won't add to that. And I will just say, you know, we had Nick Pollock on, we were talking about, about Justin Steele and he was worried that Steele was really just kind of like a one pitch pitcher with the, with the slider. Just with the slider. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. And, but I will say like the fastball is performing better than last year. Um, It's, it's giving up a lot less hard contact. The fastball is never going to be a dominant pitch where you're going to get like tons of swing and miss and, and stuff like that with it. But because that slider is so good, if the fastball can just be a good hard contact mitigator and just be a good pitch to like get over and get ahead, then I think that he I, he has a lot of value, even if he's just a quote unquote one pitch pitcher, because he's a one pitch pitcher for strikes, for strikeouts, but not a one pitch exactly. pitcher overall. And I think there's a little bit of a, a difference that we need to mention I, there. I think that's a great call with Steele. And again, even if he only plays to that, 407 Sierra, which is skill interactive ERA. It's like FIP. It's all, it's in that ERA predictor uh, pool of stats. So even if he is more of an upper threes, low fours ERA, that's perfectly viable in 15s. That's still streamable in 12s and 10s. And hopefully you can curate that down to more of a mid or low threes ERA by picking your spots and maybe sitting him against some of the tougher squads that he can run into. For me right now, though, with Steele, 15 teamers, I'm I'm kind of starting him, you know, without incident. There, there really isn't spots where I'm taking him out right now. Yeah. Um, so many names, so much to talk about. Um, I do appreciate you coming on and, and doing that. I really think, you know, people, I hope that, you know, part of this information also allows people to understand that, like, we don't have to force a lot of things with starting pitching. There's a lot of pitchers who are really enticing and intriguing in a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you see, like, you know, the league ERA go up to 430. It's like there's a lot of opportunities for you to get hurt by just throwing guys into your lineup because you have this blanket like I I like him. Uh yes. and I think it's it's understanding how much do I like the pitcher, how much do I like the opportunity, the park, the lineup, the spot. And sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, like I think this guy is a good pitcher. I'm not sure about the opportunity with this particular game. And we don't have to always have FOMO of like missing that start. Like there will be exactly. other opportunities down the road, even for a guy like Wade Miley to just give you a good outing. And for the love of Pete, process over results, folks. If you streamed Kyle Gibson on Wednesday at KC, that, that's the right process. 
because Casey sucks and he was pitching well, and that's a good park to pitch in. He went six and two thirds, six runs, 10 hits, like unexpected. It's, it's a tough L to take, but you don't say, Oh, a, I'll never stream him again or B that didn't, that didn't work. So I'm done streaming. It's a long-term game and streaming by its very nature is risky. You're going to have some misses. And so if you can't handle those misses, maybe streaming isn't for you, but don't let a, a bad result alter your process. If you believe in the process that you're utilizing. And I, and I will say just a, a final piece of advice for me personally is like, I think you see this a lot in draft season and you see it when you get these like really heavy fab weeks is when we miss on like these kind of like, young shiny toys mm -hmm. we sometimes tend to overreact and make sure we get the next one yep uh, and that can have a negative impact where like you know you saw that with a lot of people at the end of draft season they didn't get volpe they didn't get jordan walker so damn it i'm getting them in the next draft and i'm gonna pay you know two rounds Through of the roof value so i make sure i get them and you know walker's already down and volpe has you know struggled to a certain extent the idea just being stick to what your evaluation is and stick to how much you actually trust and, and want that pitcher and um, what they fit on your team. And if you quote unquote miss an opportunity, there are going to be other opportunities. And that might even just be like the Bailey overs of the world who find themselves in him, a starting, who find themselves in a starting job and everybody's bidding on these like young rookies and you could maybe get just a solid starter for way less money. So totally you don't have to go above what you're comfortable with to make sure you can get in on the fun. Yep. Just stick. To, that, that's a great way of kind of outlining further about sticking to your process. It's a long season. We haven't even really fully gotten going yet. Y'all like we're just at a point now where you can truly say good start, bad start for guys. Cause they can't really change their numbers with two, three good games. But, you know, May 15th is kind of a cutoff point for me. That's like a month and a half into the season where I really start analyzing things trust your process. It's a, such a long season. There's going to be so many more ups and downs. There are teams in last in their league right now that will win their league or cash stick with it. And I hope that's true because I'm in last in my league. So maybe I'm just telling myself that. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I need to tell myself that as well. I almost <laughs> shut it down in a, oh, in, like, my, and, uh, in my home league, I was like about to throw in the towel on everything, but yeah, you got to stick through. It's okay to get frustrated and then uh, just get right, get back to the grind. Exactly. Um, Paul, I know everybody who listens to this probably already knows, but just let everybody know where they can find your stuff, what you're working on right now. You can find me over at Fangraphs. I'm the, uh, the fantasy lead editor there on the podcast Sleeper in the Bus with Justin Mason three times a week. We've got uh, plenty of articles going out. I do a daily SP chart where I analyze the guys going that day and recommend start sits. Uh, and then also on Twitter and Twitch at Sporer. That's S-P-O-R-E-R. I stream baseball games on Twitch and will be the show out of the park baseball. But we're talking fantasy all the time. So you don't even have to be a video game head or play either of those games to come hang out and talk baseball. We got plenty of folks who don't play an ounce of video games that love hanging out and just chatting about baseball, asking fantasy questions. So come hang out on Twitch, twitch.tv slash sport. I go four or five, sometimes six times a week. And you can come hang out and do that. I do a morning box score show too, uh, three, four times a week where I review the box scores from the day before. And again, talk over fantasy questions and things like that. I think you're going to make me uh, try Twitch. Got to just... come through. I've never done it. And every time you talk about it, I think, you know what? Maybe. You'd be a great fit. Hey, thanks. I appreciate I appreciate it. We'll we'll give it a shot. 
you can find me on Twitter at Samsky NYC. Um, I just put out a piece on Rotoballer t- uh, this morning about um, this year's the the hitters who have gained the most average exit velocity because um, that stat has started to stabilize and trying to break down which of those hitters is uh, legit or not. And I do weekly um, pitchers with new pitches and should they care where I uh, analyze, well, they care, should we care, um, where I analyze the pitch mix of these pitchers and see if this new pitches is, is uh, changes who they are. So make sure you check all of that stuff out. Um, and Sammy will be back from Disney if he survives it. And he'll be back here next week. And we'll catch you on another episode of The Catcher's Corner. Mm-hmm.